Good afternoon to all of our fellow health enthusiasts. My name is Aubrey Mast and I'm a professor of nutrition. This is a new podcast developed by my friend and colleague, Dr. Charles Benz, and we call this show Healing Trends with Dr. Benz. We search the internet every day to find the best scientific studies that can be used to improve the health of every interested person. You will not see many of these studies in the conventional media because most doctors do not have the time or the interest in finding them. And there are special interests which keep you are which keep individuals um, from knowing about these studies. Every week we will explore nutritional science that has the potential to prevent and even reverse 90% of chronic illness. This could save many lives and help to stop the healthcare crisis that will eventually bankrupt our country. This is frequently called functional medicine and has been adopted by thousands of doctors, as well as medical schools and hospitals, including the Cleveland Clinic. Today's program is entitled Good Circulation is Life-Saving, and it sounds like it's a very pertinent conversation to you, Dr. Charles. Yes, in the last 24 hours, I've had two people that have had serious health challenges that I've, I'm trying to help them to deal with it now, but one of them was a classmate from high school and he had a stroke and this is a healthy person, very, very slender and exercises and eats well and um, something was wrong. He didn't, didn't hydrate enough or he wasn't eating the exact right foods, but that was kind of shocking. And then uh, the fellow that does repairs on my computer um, told me yesterday after I had said to him he needed to get some testing done because um, he was complaining, he got some testing done and now his doctor has him on um, a statin drug and a blood pressure medication and a few other things. And he says, I feel terrible. I mean, I'd, I'd love to get off of this stuff. And he said, I didn't think I was going to get this old this quickly. He's only in his mid-50s. And he's already saying, really, things like, just take me out and shoot me if I'm going to feel like this. Mm. And I thought, holy cow. So I don't know whether you've had similar experiences, but with strokes and, and heart attacks and high blood pressure continuing to go up, I, I wonder uh, whether people are taking their circulation seriously. Yeah. I mean, this is out of my wheelhouse um, besides just academically studying it. So I haven't had clients dealing with the issues. Um, so I'm curious to see where the conversation leads us today. Oh, you know, I, I had some health challenges myself a couple uh, years ago, and I think it was stress and, and not, not drinking enough. So I, I sort of changed my schedule and, you know, had breaks periodically through the day instead of working 14, 16 hours steady and uh, drank a lot more and uh, everything's been fine. I also think people don't exercise enough. I mean, this guy that's my computer guru, he doesn't exercise at all. And if you don't exercise, then your arteries become stiff. Because when you exercise, they have to expand. And so by expanding and contracting, then you have more flexible uh, arteries and, and veins and, and capillaries. And so to me, the fact that maybe 10 or 15% of the people get enough exercise, that tells us that 80 to 85% of people are really vulnerable because they're not exercising aerobically enough to have flexible, uh, flexible arteries and capillaries. Um, is that your experience in the, in, the, in the teaching that you do on this topic? Yeah, I mean, I think for the majority of Americans, we were looking at chronic dehydration, which causes vasorestriction 
and constriction. And so there is an increased risk of high blood pressure from that. But I also think there's a, the other counterpart of it is that we're seeing atherosclerotic plaques at very, very young ages. In fact, some of the research is showing that it's happening in utero. And so I think there's a lot of individuals that have atherosclerosis plaques that have been well established and without enough fiber in their diet and enough exercise and enough hydration that it creates just like this ticking time bomb on the heart um, causing extra stress. Yeah, you know, I I remember seeing a study of uh, young men that were being drafted or when they draft was still on and some ridiculous figure like 70% of them had plaque that had had developed in their arteries and I saw a study from World War II where they had Mm -hmm. similar figures uh, being produced so this happens really early and I I just think it's shocking and it certainly has almost everything to do with with diet and one of the two of the main culprits I can't mention them all but magnesium is one of them and that comes from green vegetables, especially the leafy green vegetables. And um, vitamin C comes from fruits and vegetables. And so by not getting enough of those key fruits and vegetables, most people are deficient in magnesium and, and in uh, vitamin C. And vitamin C is the thing that helps to keep your arteries from becoming clogged because people think, well, cholesterol is the problem. Cholesterol is not the problem. Cholesterol is the solution. You have a problem if you have too many toxins in your body or not enough nutrients, and then you you get actual damage to the arteries, and then cholesterol comes to repair that damage. And then if if you eat a, a diet that has a lot of fat in it and calcium, then those things stick to that plaque, and then it builds up and eventually becomes either a blocked artery or it becomes so, so dangerous to the endothelial lining that it tears, and then that plaque flips over and blocks the artery uh, from the top to the bottom. So, th- and I, I've also heard statistics that 50% of heart attacks are caused by this flip of, of the plaque as it goes, as it tears in the end, endothelial lining and comes back on the other side and causes this, uh, this blockage. So to me, and I, I see this with, with people who exercise, uh, I had a client in New Jersey, I was giving a talk there, and he said, hey, I exercise two or three hours every day, and I eat a good diet, and so how come I need a triple bypass surgery? And I said, well, do you take extra magnesium when you exercise and extra vitamin C? He said, no, why should I do that? My doctor never mentioned that. I said, because when you exercise, you're, you're, you need more energy in, in your body, and magnesium is the thing that takes the oxygen and the glucose into the cell to make energy in the mitochondria. And so if you don't have enough magnesium, you're going to have this damage that's going to build up. And vitamin C is what neutralizes the damage because it has an extra electron. And these toxins that do this damage, they are minus an electron. So then the vitamin C comes along and says, hey, buddy, I got an extra uh, electrode here if you need it. And so that's what neutralizes the, the damage to the, to the artery. So that's, he was shocked. He just said, I, I had absolutely no idea. My doctor never said anything about uh, magnesium or vitamin C. So uh, that, that, I have so many stories like that, it's almost shocking. So 
what, what, do you teach anything like that in your, in your class about various nutrients and which ones would you add besides magnesium and vitamin C? Well, I think for me, yes, I teach nutrition and lifestyle medicine. So we go over the foundations of what creates heart disease and type two diabetes and cancer and obesity. Um, and all the list goes on. And so we do look at specific nutrients that are impactful within cardiovascular function. And I think it comes back again and again to the micronutrients, but that's related to what kind of food are we producing in, in the soil health, right? We can look at magnesium, but that's a soil bound nutrient. And so if our food system is devoid of a lot of these nutrients because of monoculture farming, then it can be really unhelpful to tell people just to eat fruits and vegetables because the fruits and vegetables that they're consuming may not have the nutrient loads that we're really looking for in terms of cardiovascular function. I also think like it's pretty short-sighted to just look at the supplementation without also addressing the need for fiber. You know, I think it can be argued that a lot of the reason we have the cardiovascular disease rates that we have and even the stroke disease, the stroke rates that we have is because we have diets that are really devoid in fiber and most Americans need to be consuming, you know, roughly 20 to 30 grams of fiber. And in current research, we show that most Americans are consuming seven to 10 grams of fiber. And if we don't have an adequate supply of fiber, then our digestive system goes off wire, our gut microbiome is altered, and cardiovascularly, we see greater risk for plaque formation specifically related to those high LDL levels and the VLDL levels. And so really, I think there's a couple of components there is like the supplementation of these micronutrients is really essential, but also paying attention to where you're getting those micronutrients and what kind of fibers coming into contact with them is really even more essential in my opinion. It's like, what is the, the package that we're delivering all of those micronutrients in? And the package should be filled with complex carbohydrates, phytochemicals, micronutrients, and also fiber, because that's really where we see the decrease in cardiovascular disease risk, whether we're looking at blood pressure, cholesterol levels, or plaque formation. Well, that's fantastic. I mean, I, I can always count on you to give us the, the, the real skinny on, uh, on, on the nutrient side of things. How, how do you think people are best prepared to know whether their circulation system is, is doing well or not? I mean, I, I don't think it's really wise to wait until you have some serious problem like a mini stroke or heart pain. <laughs> I think that's you waited too long. And, and so I suggest that people have an oximeter around. And, you know, you just stick it on your finger. I mean, it's the first thing they do when you go to the hospital is they stick one of these things and see what your oxygen levels is. And I think if you have oxygen levels of 96, 97, 98, and that's where it should be. And this has become emphasized during this COVID crisis because oxygen levels are one of the first things that change in your body when you have this COVID virus in your body. And so if you get levels in the low 90s or, or even high 80s, that's a sign that there is something wrong with your circulation system if they were in the uh, mid to high 90s and in, in, in previous non-COVID uh, times. Then one of the other tests that they're, they're using is a D-dimer. A D-dimer tells you whether you've had blood clots in the last 10 days. And this is really crucial because you know that with these vaccines and the, uh, and the virus itself, blood clots are becoming to, to be common. 
And so anybody that goes for a COVID test or goes for any kind of uh, examination to see uh, how the vaccination is being handled in their bodies should get a D-dimer test. Because if you don't get it within 10 days, it's really not as effective as if you get it in that first 10 days. Um, the other test that I think people could add, and this is, this is the problem of the medical profession, they don't have the right tests. And so they should have an, an INR, which is a sort of international normal ratio, and it tells you how, uh, how thin or thick your blood is. And then they have another one called serum viscosity. That tells you how slippery your blood is. Why don't they add those few tests just to see whether people's circulation is as good as they think it is before it becomes a stroke or a heart problem? I mean, there's even a test called the uh, TIMA and CIMT. And, and it's one that measures the carotid artery circulation. And, and I know someone personally that had that test recently, and their one artery was perfectly clear, and the other one was about an inch, 70% blocked. And the one that was blocked was the one that has the less blood flowing through it because one of the arteries, I think it's the, see the, the, the left one, carries about 70% of the blood into the brain, and the other only carries about 30%. That 70% artery has blood rushing through it all the time. No chance for any kind of blockage. But the other one that only has 30% of the blood going to the brain, then that's the opportunity for that blood moving slower to have the opportunity to clot. That's the only explanation I could come up with for such a variation between one carotid artery and the other carotid artery. I don't know. Have you ever heard that before, but 70% of your blood goes to one side? It's just crazy. Yeah, I've heard that before, but it's been a while since I remember reading about that information. And the only thing that people seem to get is their cholesterol levels. And there's so much controversy over cholesterol, whether, whether it really matters. And if it matters, they talk about the small particles and the puffy particles. And I, I think myself that it's the ratio that's more important, your LDL to HDL ratio. So if you have a two to one LDL to HDL ratio, that means if you have 160 uh, LDL and you have 80 HDL, then you're perfect and you're probably going to be able to take any bad cholesterol, like the LDL is supposed to be the bad, take any bad cholesterol and get it out of the body with the HDL moving it out. Uh, but we know that these statin drugs are very harmful because if they lower your cholesterol too low, then you end up with depression and anxiety and lots of other mental problems because it, it helps to develop vitamin D3 and a lot of hormones. So what's your, what's your take on cholesterol as a as probably the only thing that doctors are testing. I mean, I think that I agree with you that it requires a balance. The balance is more important. And I think, you know, from teaching this information, I think most of the time people don't understand that we naturally make cholesterol on our own without what we're consuming. So there is an evolutionary need for us to have cholesterol in circulation for multiple reasons, right? You already talked about vitamin D too as its hormonal function, but also neurotransmitters, like we have a specific need for having cholesterol. So cholesterol a lot of times gets demonized, but I think what there, where there is a gap in that knowledge is that the demonized cholesterol really needs to be the cholesterol that's coming in from processed foods and having a diet that's really rich in fried foods and animal-based foods because they're not only delivering elevations in those LDL levels, 
They're also delivering elevations in saturated fat, which is increasing the cardiovascular disease risk. And the big difference, I think, with HDL levels is how the body is metabolizing and utilizing the cholesterol, but also getting rid of the cholesterol. And so here again is the point of having an adequate supply of fiber in the body to help with that cholesterol mitigation, but also swapping fat sources. So instead of having fried foods, moving more towards foods that are high in the monounsaturated fatty acids and polyunsaturated fatty acids, such as nuts and seeds and avocados, because you're still gonna get the fat, but you're gonna get a healthier ratio of HDL levels to LDL levels. And I think that's really where we see this bigger concern happening with the cholesterol um, testing. Well, you know, I, I don't, I, you're absolutely right. And, and I'm not really satisfied that the LDL HDL ratio is the, is the, is the best thing. I think oxidative uh, cholesterol is also a good factor. And a good friend of mine, uh, Dr. Thomas, Dr. Lewis, rather, Tom, his name is Thomas Lewis. He thinks that both of those measures aren't as accurate as they could be. He likes to add the HDL and the LDL plus 20 uh, percent of triglycerides. So whatever your triglycerides, he adds it. Now he has this co- sort of combination formula. And he's finding that he uses that test and it's more accurate than all the other tests. So, you know, I, I, I think there's a lot of work to be done in that area. I think he's onto something. And I, I think that he, he's especially onto something because 70% of our blood flow is through our small capillaries. We think that these big arteries are, are, are the ones that we can see and that we think lots of, lots, lots of uh, blood is going through them. And it's true, there is. But just think of a river and think of the Mississippi. And then look at all these small uh, contributors to that from all these different streams across the Mississippi Valley. It's the same in the body. So if you don't have good micro circulation in these capillaries, then you're going to have serious problems. And one of the things that I've been, you know, I've been seeing whether there are solutions to this. And I found two things that people who have this circulation problem have been doing with a great deal of success. If you don't have a, a circulation problem in a disease state, but you have challenges, there's people who are using this machine called the Beamer. And the Beamer uses a safe, a small electronic uh, pulse at a certain frequency in order to expand those small capillaries in the body. And that will kind of increase the amount of blood going through the larger ones and expand those larger ones so that now you have this sort of, I don't know, it's almost like it's a substitute for exercise. I don't want to say that, but it produces the same effect because it forces the arteries to go uh, uh, a little bit higher, a little bit uh, wider, and that's what you need. You need these flexible flexible arteries, but I prefer to do both. If you would exercise and use the Beamer, uh, B-E-M-E-R, if you have health problems and they're related to circulation. The other thing is if you have more of a disease state, then, you know, I know that the, the conventional doctors want to put you on a statin drug and a lot of other drugs, but I know a lot of people in my family, close members, who have used chelation therapy, intravenous chelation therapy. And 
I know one of them, the, the doctor said, well, you, we have to have an operation uh, within the next couple of days because your arteries are really blocked and your heart's not getting oxygen. You know, the bottom part of your heart is black. And she just said, well, I think I'm going to consult with somebody on this. And she asked me what to do. And I said, just go for chelation therapy. And she found a doctor. She did, I think, 30 sessions of three hours each over an a year and a half and she then went to the cardiologist for another test and he said oh my he said your heart is completely clear and so are your arteries what did you do <laughs> she said i did 90 hours of chelation therapy with ddta and a number of other things that are included in this chelation therapy so this is now something that has been tested by the nih and has been found to be not harmful and actually helpful in most cases. Have you had anybody that you know of that had either the Beamer or the chelation therapy? You're probably too young to, to know these group, these people. <laughs> well, the chelation therapy I have looked at, but it's not for what we're speaking to. It's more for heavy metal detoxification. So I've never had somebody use it in terms of cardiovascular function, which is really fascinating to me. Yeah, uh, I, I've helped a couple of doctors get a better protocol for it because the EDTA is good. Uh, they developed it during World War II. Actually, the Germans did it because they were getting this experience of too many heavy metals from the workers that were working in the factories making the planes and tanks and everything. And they actually came up with this thing that takes the heavy metals out of your body. And so that's how this whole chelation therapy uh, evolved after World War II. And... Then the doctors started to figure out in, in the United States, well, maybe we could use this here for heavy metals as well as for uh, heart, heart problems. And they started to use it, and they started to get effectiveness uh, out of it. And now it's kind of in a refined state. I mean, we know now to add vitamin C to the, to the protocol in order to make sure that if you're taking plaque out, you're doing repair with the vitamin C as the, because this is a solution that goes through your body over a couple hour period. And then they know that they have to use other things. And so there's another, another formula in the intervene is called plaque X. They use that one. And then I recommended that they start using hydrogen peroxide because hydrogen peroxide intravenously works better in the larger and the medium sized arteries. And then after those three, then the fourth one is what we call a remin. And in that case, a lot of uh, minerals are taken out of the body during this. And so then you have to kind of bring them back in. And so the fourth in, in, a, in a protocol of, of four is this remin. Then they repeat the three again, then another remin. And this seems to be the, the healthy way to do chelation therapy. So I'm just going to say to anybody who's listening, if you do want to use chelation therapy, make sure you get a doctor that has been doing it a long time knows how to do it, knows how to protect your body, knows how to do the occasional test on your kidneys to see whether they're working in your liver to see if it's working fine because this is a lot of detoxification going on. I, I wanted to touch on foods that are particularly great when it comes to helping with circulation. I'm going to give you the first crack at this because I have a list. I want to see how many are on your list that are on my list too. <laughs> Pressure is on. <laughs> 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 uh, 
<laughs> Thanks, Dr. Benz. <laughs> uh, really, team me up there. Well, when I think of improving circulation, I think of one, like I've mentioned, getting rid of processed foods, fried foods. I also think of getting really limiting how many animal-based products you're consuming in all forms, whether we're talking about cheese or we're talking about dairy or lunch meats or, you know, regular beets. Um, and eggs included. And so from there, in order to increase circulation, um, a couple of things come to mind. Consuming more nuts and seeds, um, also more beans and legumes, cayenne pepper comes to mind within circulation, CoQ10 comes to mind within circulation, um, and then changing oils out. So getting away from the canola oils and the vegetable oils, um, and replacing them with either a cold pressed olive oil or even a, a coconut oil um, or an avocado oil or a walnut oil it tends to help with circulation. And then really increasing that fiber concentration. So, you know, the best place to increase fiber is from by is by focusing on complex carbohydrates, including fruits and vegetables, whole grains, and then again, the beans and the legumes and the nuts and the seeds. Wow, you did pretty good for being under pressure. What? Thanks. <laughs> well, I, I think the thing that, uh, that that also can be added to that is increasing the nitric oxide uh, that's in the body because this is really one of the things that, that that's really super necessary. And beets happen to have like the highest level of nitric oxide. So they've got beet powder that, that actually shows scientifically with that with testing that you get increased nitric oxide in your body when you consume this beet juice and the other thing is a slow release niacin because if you if you take a regular flush niacin you you feel like you're uh you're going to burn up for about a half an hour and so a lot of people can't really handle that so the slow release niacin is is a good thing and the beet juice is really good i like the cayenne pepper but other things that help with this nitric oxide are uh, arginine and citrulline. Uh, these are amino acids that also help with this whole uh, nitric oxide uh, uh, correlation. And uh, I just recommended to this, this uh, friend of mine uh, that, that had the stroke, pycnogenol, this French, uh, French bark, French pine bark. And that actually repairs the damage done by a stroke. So pycnogenol is really important for that reason. And, and another thing that's reparative is pomegranate juice. Pomegranate juice is one of the only foods in the planet that actually helps to repair chromosome damage. I mean, when somebody told me the other day that orange juice was part of their protocol and they're in the health business, I thought, well, I gave up orange juice about 30 years ago because it just has too much sugar in it. And I said, I, I now use a sort of a watered-down pomegranate juice. And he went, wow, I didn't know that. Um, and then finally, uh, on this note, there are some enzymes out there like serapeptase, natokinase, and lumbricanase. And all of them have this, this sort of blood-thinning, clot-limiting capability. And I remember uh, about two days ago, I sent an article, um, an NIH, uh, National Institute of Health Review, on serapeptase. And one of the really good doctors that I work with said, 
oh my, that's really excellent. He said, I'm going to add that to my blog. You know, and, and, and that's where I give myself a high five. Like, okay, he, he's a doctor and he, he didn't know as much about this as he should have. And I, I was able to help him on, on his protocol. So I, I think we've given people a lot of information. I like vitamin E because it softens the cells, the membranes of the cells. And that's another thing that can help to make sure your circulation is good. Is there any final notes that you have to kind of finish off the circulation item? No, I think you got them all. Okay, I think we did. <laughs> really pulled them out. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, I guess that's the way we should do it. I'd like to talk to uh, the people about uh, Don Baker at Paddock Pools. And he has a really interesting vacuum extractor that takes uh, chlorine gas off the surface of the pool which allows swimmers to actually get a, a, a very uh, very pure form of oxygen, like 95% of the chlorine gas is removed with this vacuum extractor. And so if, if you have a pool that you're going to develop in your community or you want to do some swimming and you want to find the, the healthiest pool, sea salt pools are good, and also pools that have this uh, paddock pool vacuum extractor on it. And so... The, those are things that you should consider if you're going to be involved in swimming. DHA Labs. DHA Labs is a company that does blood testing and urine testing and genetic testing. And they're really advanced in these things because they look at it the same way I do. They want to find these chronic illnesses before they manifest in a disease. And so I can't really say uh, how, how important it is. I mean, that's just crucial that we do that and there's only a few companies that really pay attention to this his is one of them and so i want to recommend that people either use dha labs for their testing or they find another uh, company that does it but I, I don't think there is anybody that does it as well as dha labs does and then southern trust financial is a financial consulting planning company and they actually have been working with our company for about 15 or 20 years now doing workshops for their for their clients and so i i think if you're going to have anything invested you better make sure you have good health so you can enjoy the benefits of that investment mark wolf is the ceo of southern trust financial and i just think he shares a lot of the articles he shares our radio podcast with his people I think that's the way financial planning companies should operate, and I'm really proud to have an association with his company. And, and then there's MB Health, is a company that is a medical cost-sharing company. And I think it's actually MPB Health, MPB Health. And I think they do something so unique because it's not like, it's like insurance, but it's not insurance. It's medical cost-sharing. So everybody that's a client is interested in being healthier because if somebody has an incident, a health incident, everybody else has to pay for it in kind of a, a mutual fund approach, if you will. And it really makes it makes sense because a lot of younger people who, who don't have a chronic illness, they, they don't want to pay for all the other people who have all these chronic illnesses that are costing an arm and a leg. So they found out that these, these companies, especially MPB Health, they can actually get their premiums down up to 30 or 50% less than the regular health insurance companies. 
And this is really crucial in this day and age because everybody's scrambling to make sure they have enough money to retire and enough money to live. And so health costs are some of their highest costs. And now with the insurance companies, they're increasing their deductibles, they're increasing your co-pays. And so if you're gonna do those increases anyway, you might as well go into a company like MPB Health and get healthier and make sure everybody in your group that you're working with is healthier so that you can keep those costs down and they're able to maintain lower deductibles, lower co-pays and lower premiums just by concentrating on wellness. So I think we just want to keep them in mind. If you're an individual or a small company, look into their programs and look at the videos online and I think you'll be very happy with what you see. So thanks everybody for listening today and thanks Aubrey again for helping so much and responding under pressure. I really appreciate everything she does. Thanks, Aubrey. Bye for now.